fellow patriots and lovers of liberty. This is Jim Cooper. I'll be your host today. Uh, so um, we have a couple things to talk about. <clears throat> Want to get right into. Uh, first two are stories about schools, actually. Uh, the first one is from The Federalist, and this is about a Chicago school district. Um, I'm not going to do a lot of commentary on this, more of just uh, a cultural thing that I think you can kind of figure out for yourself what our feeling is on this. But just so you know, this is happening, and it might um, it might come to a school near you. Uh, it's by Gabe Kaminsky, and it's from July 9th of this year. In the headline reads, Chicago schools claim dishing out condoms to fifth graders is needed because of racism. I'm not really sure <laughs> how accurate that is, but anyway. Chicago Public Schools, the third largest school district in the United States, plans to provide condoms to students 10 years and up this fall to enact anti-racist pedagogy. Pedagogy? I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, the Board of Education's policy passed in December and mandates all institutions serving fifth grade and older have to have a, quote, condom availability program, unquote. According to the policy, dishing out contraception to minors who have largely yet to undergo puberty is medically accurate and provides strategies to support all students that are inclusive of gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, sexual behavior, race, and disability. 600 schools in Chicago will receive thousands of condoms, courtesy of the Chicago Department of Health. Dr. Kenneth Fox, who works for the district, indicated to the Chicago Sun-Times he believes it is reasonable precaution, even though many students being given the prophylactic are just in fifth grade. When you don't have those protections and don't make those resources available, then bad stuff happens to young people, Fox said. You have elevated risks of sexually transmitted infections, of unintended pregnancies, and that's very preventable stuff. Oddly enough, the policy is guided by critical race theory dogma. Chicago Public Schools released an equity statement in the policy that states it seeks to mitigate the effects of numerous inequities experienced by CPS students, such as access to sexual health education and services. In the program component section of the sex education policy, the district argues it is providing age-appropriate opportunities to teach consent and healthy relationships, anatomy and physiology, puberty and adolescent sexual development, gender identity and expression, sexual orientation and identity, sexual health, and interpersonal violence. In order for parents to opt their children out of the additional mandatory sex education lessons outlined in the policy, they will need to write a written objection. The parent of a high school sophomore in Chicago, Maria Serrano, told the Sun-Times the district is out of line. My question is, how is it the CPS wants to give condoms to kids, said Serrano. They are 10 years old, 11, 12, they are kids. So why is CPS thinking about providing condoms? If schools run out of condoms, principals have been told to ask the government for more. The Sun-Times asked the district why middle school kids are being targeted, to which Fox said the decision was informed by a developmental understanding of children. Fox also said sex education is a matter of equity and justice, although it is unclear why holding off on condom distribution for middle schoolers 
let alone for any students, would go contrary to either. Chicago Public Schools did not immediately respond to request for comment. Yeah, there's not really a whole lot I could say about this, um, but I give it to you without comment so you can um, make your own decision. I think pretty much everyone's probably on the same page on this, except, well, pretty much anybody who would listen to this would be on the same page. So we could go into a diatribe about it. Um, it. It is disturbing the trend that is happening more and more, and we'll probably talk about it more in depth later. Uh, but I'm really disturbed at the trend trends that are happening um, toward our children. I, I think we're heading in a wrong direction with the way we're raising our children, and I don't know how to combat it overall. I mean, you can put out little little fires here and there, but but those are little fires. There's still a forest fire raging, rage, raging, and I don't know how to put out the large fire except just to stamp out these small fires before they become part of the larger fire. And I, I'm, I'm not sure yet how to take on the big, massive fire that is heading our way. But obviously, we can stamp, we can um, stamp out these small little fires, but there's a much larger fire heading, and, and I don't know how we're going to stop that when it gets when it gets closer. It's going to be. I'm not saying it's unstoppable. I'm just saying though that it's going to require a lot of a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of. It's going to invest a lot of time away from other issues that are also important in order to stop that fire. But yet. While we're doing that, there's going to be other problems raging in other areas. You know, it, you're, we're going to have to let other issues fester in order to stop this, which could be major in the future if those aren't stopped. So, you know, I, I just, I'm not sure how to attack, to attack this fire right now. Um, I'm very concerned about it. It hasn't, the major fire hasn't hit us yet, and, and maybe... God will intervene with a with a rainstorm and put the fire out. But short of that, I'm not sure how we're going to have the funding, the resources, the the ability, the patience to fight a major fire uh, that is coming our way. You know, in another. 18, 20 years, when these kids and adults, we're going to have a major problem on our hands, and I'm not, I'm not sure how to address it as of yet, um, because it's not just, not just this situation, but there are many, many others as far as how we're teaching our children, um, the morals and values we're instilling in them, uh, our educational system, which is a disaster. Um, we, we just, there are just so many problems that are facing our youth and when we realize that the, when we realize there's a problem it's almost going to be too late to put a stop to it it needs to be stopped now while they're still young but I, I just don't know how I don't know what steps we need to take I don't know what legislation needs to be passed I don't know I, I don't I don't mean to not give you 
any hope and say that it's, it's impossible. I'm just saying I personally don't know. There are probably people who are smarter than me that could outline things, but I'm just saying for me personally, I don't know how to combat it except just to stop these small little fires as we see them and just hope that um, that it's averted in the next 20 years so that we don't have to deal with it. But I just fear we will have to deal with it. Um, this cigar article is a little closer to home, not much, but a little closer. It's from The Hill. A Michigan school district says that no racial bias found after employee cut child's hair. It sounds very weird headline, but, and I, I read through it once already and I didn't quite understand some of it. So I'm hoping that as I read through it this time, maybe I'll understand a little bit more. But a school employee in Michigan who cut a biracial girl's hair without her parents' permission and in violation of school policy will remain employed after the district said it uncovered no evidence the incident was motivated by racial bias. The Mount Pleasant Public Schools Board of Education said in a July 2nd statement that cutting a, a student's hair on school grounds is a clear violation of school policy, but it was clear from a third-party investigation and an internal investigation that MPPS employees had good intentions when performing the haircut. The employee who the district acknowledged cut the child's hair without parents' knowledge and without the knowledge of district administrators will be placed on a last chance agreement, the district said, during which time future violations will likely result in termination. Ganniard Elementary School drew scrutiny earlier this year when a parent, Jimmy Hoffmeyer, said a school employee cut his daughter's hair without permission. Photos circulated online showed the girl before and after the employee cut her hair. Christina Laster, who heads policy and legislation for the National Parents Union and also represents the girl's family, told CNN that the girl's parents discovered her hair was initially cut on March 24. Uh, at the time, she said the girl told her parents that a child cut her hair and the student was taken to a beautician to have her hair styled into a bob. But Laster told the news network that the girl's parents discovered her hair had been cut shorter again less than a week later by an employee without the parents' consent. Laster said the child was in tears over the incident. First, the librarian cut her hair without permission and she suffered traumatically. She is now in counseling and therapy for a thing that happened to her and is still trying to grow her hair back, Laster told CNN, adding that parents attributed the incident to a racial bias. The school district said that two other employees who were aware of the incident but didn't alert the girl's parents to school administrators will receive written reprimands. School officials said in their statement that a third-party independent investigation included interviews with and feedback from district personnel, students, and families. The Laster said the district didn't interview the child's family. They didn't get both sides of the story, so how did, so how did you get those key findings? Overall, it's a lack of accountability. She said the Hill reached out to the school district for comment. CNN reported the family has since filed a complaint with the state's Department of Civil Rights. Laster said the family is also backing legislation seeking to ban race-based hair discrimination. According to data provided by the Michigan Department of Education, more than 72% of the over 3,000 students enrolled in the school district are white, while more than 8% have categorized as multiracial and less than 3% were listed as African Americans. Okay, I didn't, the second reading didn't add anything that I missed in the first. Um, <clears throat> this really, 
it's hard to create an opinion because we don't have all the facts here. I'm not sure what happened. We're getting kind of conflicting stories. First of all, uh, the independent third party, the argument is that these people at the school cut her hair and whether or not it was uh, racially motivated. I don't know why the parents are upset that they didn't get the whole story by talking to them. What are they going to add? How are they going to know? You're interviewing people at the school to find out if one of them cut her hair and what was the reason for it. What do you need to talk to the parents for? The argument isn't they aren't denying that her hair was cut. You know, so I, I, I don't I don't understand why the family is is up in arms because there's not really anything the family could add. Just that we know her hair was cut and we think it was because of racism. So that doesn't that's not gonna tell them anything. They can talk the only people who could tell them anything are the people who cut the hair or witnessed it and and find out why they cut her hair and what was the point behind it and so I think that is just whining. Um, they're probably looking for a lawsuit. I'm probably I don't want to get sued myself. I'm just this is my guess, it's my assumption. I have no way, way of knowing. But they're probably looking to sue and that's why they're trying to claim that they're trying to build a case here that we weren't even talked to about it. We were left out of the loop. So, um, but based on this article, we really can't get any deeper information because there's not a barbershop in schools. It's not a common thing. And it even said here that it's against school policy to, to cut kids' hair. So what this article has not informed us is as to why your hair was cut in the first place. What are they claiming the reason was? Why would a librarian or a teacher or anybody pull out some shears and decide to cut a girl's hair just for the heck of it? We, we haven't heard yet what the reasoning is. Why did they claim that they had to cut the girl's hair? Was it uh, a hygiene issue? Like did they, they, they think there were fleas or, or lice in the hair? And so they needed to cut it, you know, to keep that from spreading? Um, did they cut it because her hair was too large and the students behind her couldn't see the, the couldn't see the the, the work board? Um, you know, I'm not I'm not sure what the reasoning was, and why it couldn't have been avoided. Like if she was she was in the front, and people couldn't see her see this board over her hair, or couldn't they have moved her to the back of the room? You know, there seems I, I'm trying not to take sides here. I'm trying to say let's look at the whole big picture. What are they claiming the reason was? That they had to cut her hair. They had to have a reason. You don't carry shears to school on the off chance that you might need to cut a kid's hair because school is not where people get their hair cut. And it was even against school policy to cut her hair, so to cut a student's hair. So why did they even think that was an issue to begin with? Why not send a note home with the parents and saying, hey, you need to have this girl's hair cut because blah, blah, blah. So I'm not I'm not sure what even is going on here as to why this even became an issue. And then I'm not sure why the parents are claiming that this was a racial issue. Why, you know, what would give them the indication did the parent, did the teachers at some point say that she looked too black? Her hair was too black. It was distracting. It wasn't. It wasn't respectful, you know, that her hair was, I, I don't even know what her hair looked like, but 
you know, if it was in an afro or something, they're saying that that's just disrespectful. It's it's going to distract the kids from, you know, that she's purposely trying to look different and ethnic, you know, to set herself apart from the other students. And they just feel that's not beneficial. I mean, I, I'm not sure what the argument is on either side. And this is not explained at all what the argument is. It's just basically gossip telling you, oh, these people are mad because the daughter's hair got cut. And, um, you know, and so I, I, I don't know. And it does say that the, the girl claimed that another student cut her hair. And then that's, and, but it was ugly. It was horrible the way the other student cut her hair. And so the parents had to take her to a beautician to get it cut right. But then they're claiming that the school cut it again, I guess, after they got back from the beautician, that it was cut a second time. And this time, apparently, I, I guess, because Laster told CNN that first the librarian cut her hair without permission and she suffered and they're trying to grow her hair back. So I'm not sure if they're implying that the girl lied when she said a student cut it, it was really the librarian to cut it, or if a student cut it and then because it looked so bad, one of the teachers felt sorry for her and was like, well, here, honey, let me help you out. Let me, let me cut your hair and try to make it look decent, you know, and the parents didn't like it because instead of sending it to them to have her cut, this white teacher decided she was going to cut this black girl's hair to make it look decent after someone else had, after a student who have obviously has no training, butchered her hair up, you know, um, butchered her hair. So I, I'm not sure. I, this doesn't give me really enough information to conclude who's at fault here or what happened. Um, but I do have a problem with uh, anytime something happens, it's yelled racism. There doesn't seem to be any indication yet that it was racist. It kind of reminds me of the Salem witch trials, you know, where anytime something bad happened, it was a witch that did it. Blame witchcraft. You know, our crops didn't grow. A witch put a spell on us. You know, someone falls down and breaks their leg. It was a witch that made us fall down and break her leg. Uh, you know, you just cry witch every time something bad happens. And it doesn't mean that, um, you know, I'm not, I, I, you know, it, it doesn't, if everybody just cries racism, it doesn't mean that there aren't incidents of racism. There, there very well could be, but but it, it comes off like that when anytime something bad happens to a minority, you immediately yell racism, you know, before we even get the facts. Um, it just seems like that's kind of what we've gone to where everything is racist. Um, you know, if... Uh, I don't know. It just, I don't want to, I don't want to go too far with this, but I mean, theoretically it becomes, you know, if, a, if a black kid falls down the stairs then well, the person who made the, the stairs were racist, it was made for white people. So the infrastructure was racist. You know, if, uh, you know, if, if a student, black student, um, fails a class, well, it was racist because the test was made by a white person. Um, you know, where everything becomes racist, you know, that nothing bad can happen to them because they're just human beings and we live in a curse-filled world. 
but everything becomes it's conspiracy by white people to make this happen to a black person. Black, black person can't get a job. It's not because they aren't qualified or anything. It's because racism keeps them from getting a job. Or you know, we just it seems like we've we're getting to that point where everything is racist. And in this case, and it very well could be racist. I don't know. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm seeing no evidence according to the story that racism was in any way involved in in this kid getting a haircut. It sounds to me, based on the article, the way the article reads, and the girl's first, um, the first words that came out of the girl's mouth in explaining it before the parents got involved was that a student had cut her hair and butchered it. And then the teachers tried, because the girl obviously was tra traumatized by it, according to her parents, they tried to fix it up to make it look decent, and the parents thought it did not look good, even with what the, what the teachers did to try to help out. And so now they're claiming that it was a racially, it was a racial incident, and that this girl got her hair cut because she was black, and these white teachers didn't like um, her, the style of her, of her black hairstyle. That's what it sounds to me like, but again, that's just first impressions because we don't see anything in here um, to give us the full story. So I don't know what's going on, but that is my impression. And uh, even a third party investigated and didn't find any evidence that there was any racial motivation here. Um, the problem would be that the teachers, although their intention was right, there is a no a no no cutting hair policy at school, so they probably should have sent the girl home and told the parents what happened, and let the parents deal with what to do with the girl's hair, instead of attempting to make it right, you know, to help to help the girl. And you know that's that would be the that would be my indicate if I was a teacher at that school. I know many of you would. Feel the desire too if a girl's crying and she's traumatized because somebody took scissors or whatever and cut a girl's hair and now it looks horrible and this girl's embarrassed and she's in tears our human nature is to reach out to that girl and try to make things right look here let me help you here let's see what we can do to make your hair look okay um that's what i think and i think that was probably what was wrong because it was against school policy for them to be cutting a girl's hair without the parents' permission. They probably should have just sent her home and told the parents what happened. And we're sorry, we're gonna make sure this doesn't happen again. And you know, you guys are gonna have to figure out, you know, what you're gonna do with your hair, how you're gonna fix this, or whatever. That's what I think. I, I think they were probably wrong. They broke school policy, but their heart was in the right place. They weren't they weren't doing it to be malicious to this girl. And then I think the parents are overreacting and trying to make this to be some kind of a racial issue. Um, and in my humble opinion, and this is just my opinion, uh, I have a feeling it has to do with the lawsuit that they're wanting to make to make it to make this a big issue and get some money out of it. You know, um, not just the money it's going to take to get her hair repaired, uh, professionally done. But also for for pain and suffering, 
That's why they keep repeating that this girl's traumatized and that she's and that until her hair grows back, she's going to be humiliated and traumatized and, you know, pain and suffering and all these other things. I think they're trying to lay the grounds for a lawsuit. So we need some money here um, to to help us out or to help our girl um, recover. Um, let's see here. I have a couple more stories I could go into, but I think I'm going to go with this story from the Associated Press. I could talk about this a little bit. What I'd like to do in the future is have um, some stories on the top of the of the show, and then do um, you know which relate to either news or culture, and then um, start giving some historical and bigger picture stories, you know, from about our country, and you know, hopefully um, educate a little bit more. You know, I thought about at one point in my life being a teacher, a history teacher, and um, it's not going to happen. So sometimes it might be kind of nice to go through some history things and teach a little bit of history and civics. And I do it sometimes on our show anyway, but um, but make it more of a, a, a regular recurring thing instead of just trying to find five or six stories to talk about every every week, maybe finding two or three really good ones, and then spend the rest of the time talking about our constitution or or how things are set up or why we do some of the things that we do, and or maybe some uh, how history relates, the importance of history like prohibition, relating that to marijuana prohibition or you know um, the Tulsa race riots maybe compared to some of the if there's riots in the news or you know comparing you know why martin luther king talked about the riot is the language of the unheard what did he mean by that because that's used by a lot of democrats to talk about why um riots are good and you know what why did martin Martin luther king really did say that what was the context he said it was he really saying that black people should go out and burn down cities and and do that um how does that doesn't that conflict with his nonviolence, nonviolence movement? And it does seem to. So what is he saying there? You know, these are the kind of things that I'd like to get into um, to better educate us so that we can understand our present by understanding our past. And so we don't make the same mistakes. So anyway, having said that, this is a little bit of that same sort of thing we're talking about, but the Associated Press is reporting that former President George W. Bush criticized the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan in an interview with a German broadcaster, saying he fears that Afghan women and girls will suffer unspeakable harm. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I'm not a huge fan of George W. Bush. Um, I, re- I have respect for all of our presidents. Um, I don't, I don't want to it's kind of a tough thing. I don't want to say I like all of our presidents because a lot of the things our president's done has is, is not been good. Every president has done some really good things, and some all of our presidents 
have done some really bad things. Uh, you know, um, and maybe that's something we'll deal with. Maybe we'll pick a president sometime and just talk about the presidency of, of that person on some weeks if it's a slow news week. But the thing is, so I don't want to say that I hate him or I don't like him. Um, because I do. I like all of our presidents. But I can still like somebody and feel like they're wrong about a lot of things and and point out where they're wrong. Uh, I don't have a lot of respect for George W. Bush. I guess I should say that. I like him as I like all of our presidents, just about as well as I like any of them. Some I like more than others, but, but I don't have a lot of respect for him. And this disturbs me that he's he's saying he's upset about this Afghanistan withdrawal because it's going to cause all this unspeakable harm to people. And it, I think why it bothers me is that he's trying to play both sides of the fence because Biden, President Biden is trying to right a wrong that he shouldn't have had to right in the first place. We really shouldn't have gone into Afghanistan and Iraq. There really was no reason to. Looking back, we know this for sure now. It was suspected at the time by most of us who were sane who didn't jump on bandwagons and believe everything the government says. I don't, I've never been one to believe the government at first blush because governments lie. That's, that's how they stay in power. That's how presidents stay in power. It's how political parties stay in power. They're not going to tell you the truth because people wouldn't vote for them. You saw that with Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter told the people the truth. Ronald Reagan told people what they wanted to hear. And Ronald Reagan, Reagan won in the landslide. Jimmy Carter told us that we had a, a national crisis. We had a crisis of confidence. That we were being ripped off on oil. That human rights violations around the world were horrible. We were going to pull out of the Olympics. We pulled out of the Olympics because the human rights violations. We pulled out, you know, we refused to kowtow to Iran and and other in Saudi Arabia and all these people. And so they penalized us by refusing to sell us oil, which caused gas shortages. You know, Carter kept going on TV and telling people things are horrible right now, but we're going to have to go through that because we've got to stand up for what's right. Reagan told people what they wanted to hear, that we were the greatest nation in the world, that we don't kowtow to anybody, that, we are stronger and more powerful. We are the best nation in the world. And that's what people wanted to hear. They wanted someone to lie to them. Because the people don't want you to be honest with them. They want you to lie and tell you that everything we do is great. That everything we do is blessed by God. That we are the greatest nation in the world. They don't want to hear about the homeless population. They don't want to hear about, about how bad blacks have it treated. Blacks have been treated. They don't want to hear about how bad Native Americans are treated. They don't want to hear about the inner city problems with crack and addictions and unemployment. The American people want to hear, they want a cheerleader. They want someone who's going to tell them that everything is great, everything is beautiful. There's an old saying, there's a movie actually called Nixon, in which Nixon is looking at the uh, 
a portrait of John F. Kennedy, and he says, when they say, when they see you, they see who they want to be. When they see me, they see who they really are. And I've often thought that is indicative of the Republican and Democratic Party. The Democrats will tell you how America is. They will tell you about the problems facing America. They will tell you about the inequalities. They will tell you about racism. They will tell you about homelessness. They will tell you about drug addiction. They will tell you about uh, our failures when we go into war. They will tell you all the bad things about America. And Republicans tell you about the America that we wish it was. That America is the shining city of the, on the hill. Americans can do no wrong. That we are Americans. We can do whatever we put our mind to. That you know there is nothing wrong with America that can't be fixed by what is right with America. That and that's what people want to hear. And so, um, so that's what um, you know, and that is a problem that Republicans and Democrats have. The American people, by and large, don't want to hear people tearing down America and telling us what the real problems facing America is. They want to be sugarcoated and told that that everything is great, that we have the best education system, the best best healthcare system, the best um, you know, the best political system, the best economic system. They want to be told that we're the best at everything. And if somebody comes along and says, No, America has fallen to number thirty-five in education, America on the list of countries we go in, we're one of the last ones as far as uh, people being happy, people, you know, being unemployed, being people being employed, of racial equality, all these things that everyone says, all you're doing is, is tearing down America. And we don't want to hear that. We don't want a politician's going to tear down America. And so that, so that's what I'm saying is that, and to get back to this, that with Bush, he, when, when he wanted to go to war, there were many of us who said, this is a bad idea. That you're going to plunge us into wars that we won't be able to get out of. You're going to create a situation that is going to uh, fester. It's going to create new evils like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, although we didn't know the names. But this is what Bush was warned about by his sec Secretary of State, Colin Powell. He was warned you're going to unlash evil that you can't even imagine because if you take out these countries' leaders, there's going to be a power vacuum that is going to be filled by terrorists, these radical Islamic terrorists that are going to come and they're going to they're going to be brutal because they believe that Allah is telling them to do this. They believe that they are doing their Lord's work. They're not going to be compromising. They're not going to be able to sit down and say, okay, we'll only kill a few people because they believe that their God has told them to kill all of these people. You, they can't be moderated. The only thing holding them back is these governments. And Bush was told about this. Bush was warned about this by his father. He was warned about it from um, uh, James Baker, his father's Secretary of State, by Brent Scrocroft. Uh, his father's national security advisor. He was a, he was he was warned over and over and over again. Do not invade these nations, because you will unleash horrible, horrible forces of evil that we will not be able to stop. And 
according to Plan of Attack by Bob Woodward. This is going to be in my book. Hopefully my book will be out. It's going to be a series of books probably. will be out by the end of the year. But this is one of the articles it talks about. And here's a quote from my book. And it comes from Plan of Attack by Bob Woodward. Monday, January 13th, 2003. Colin Powell and Bush met in the Oval Office. The president was sitting in his regular chair in front of the fireplace, and the secretary was in the chair reserved for the visiting leader or the most senior U.S. official. For once, Dick Cheney was not hovering in the room. Bush complimented Powell for his hard work on the diplomatic front. The inspections are not getting us there, the president said, getting down to business. I really think I'm going to have to do this. The president said he had made up his mind. The U.S. is going to war. You're sure, Powell asked. Yes, Bush responded. You understand the consequences, Powell said in a half question. For nearly six months, he had been hammering on this theme. The United States would be taking down a regime, would have to govern the countries, and the ripple effect in the Middle East and the world could not be predicted. The run-up to the war had sucked nearly all the oxygen from every other issue in foreign relations. War would surely get all the air and attention. Yeah, I do, the president answered. You know that you're going to be owning this place, Powell said, reminding him that he would be taking on all the hopes, dreams, aspirations, and troubles of these people. Powell wasn't sure whether Bush had fully understood the meaning and consequences of total ownership. I just want you to know, Bush said, this is not a discussion. I am informing you of my decision. The fork in the road has been reached, and I have chosen war. It bothers me. That's an end quote there. It bothers me that Bush was warned about the unspeakable harm that would be caused in the Middle East and around the world, that people would flee those nations once war started. They would be going into Europe. They would be coming into the United States. We would end up displacing millions of people, millions upon millions of innocent women and children would die of hunger. They would die of terrorism. They would go into other countries where they were not welcome, into the United States. They would flood into the United States. They would flood into Britain, they would flood into France, they would flood into Europe to get away from the killing and the destruction. And this would become an unspeakable harm. Women would be raped by these people. Uh, they don't have a Second Amendment in these countries. So people didn't have access to guns. So when Al-Qaeda and the Taliban came in with their weapons, these people would be defenseless. They would be slaughtered. They would be raped. They would be murdered. Their kids would be tortured. And Bush said, I'm informing you of my decision. This is not a discussion. We are going to do this. I don't care what it reaps. You're going to do this. And now that Donald Trump said, we're going to get out of those wars, and President Biden said, I'm going to, I am going to honor what President Bush or what President Trump started, and I'm going to pull us out of these wars as President Trump said he was going to do. Now Bush is decrying what horrible thing is going to happen to all these innocent people now that we pull out. It bothers me. He showed no feeling toward these individuals when he talked about going into war, when he was warned by everybody. When the media and when the Democrats said this is a bad idea, and when I said this was a bad idea, and my father said it was a bad idea. We were ridiculed by our family members, by our church members, 
told that we were unpatriotic, that we were on the wrong side of history. We were told my, my, my Christianity was challenged. They said I couldn't really be a Christian if I didn't stand with the United States and go to war. But all these people were pushing for this. And we were warned. And now they're all crying about the poor Iraqi people and the poor Afghanistan people. What's going to happen to them if we pull out? And when we asked what's going to happen to them if we go in, we were, we were, we were pushed aside, told we might as well join Al-Qaeda. We belong with the terrorists. We're siding with terrorists. So no, Mr. Bush, I am not interested in your opinion about anything. If I want lessons on how to destroy a nation and how to bring about the destruction of our country that you started, there would never have been a Barack Obama if there hadn't been a George W. Bush. There never would have been a Donald Trump if there had never been a George W. Bush. There had never been a Joe Biden if there had been a George if there hadn't been George W. Bush. We have no respect for any of our institutions anymore. Because he politicized this country and made us, if you're not for us, you're against us. Which is exactly what we have today. When the Democrats say, you're either for us or against us. And the Republicans say, you're either for us or against us. I've heard over and over, you either love Donald Trump or you love America. You can't love both. And I've heard from many Republicans who said, you're either an American or a Democrat. You can't be both. That started with George W. Bush in his lead up to the war. You can't be an American and not support this war. You can't be. You're unpatriotic. You belong in Guantanamo Bay. I, for one, was offended. I voted for George W. Bush. I supported him after 9-11. But I didn't support the war. And I was told that I wasn't a real American and I wasn't a real Christian because I didn't stand with my country. Regardless of what the Bible said, they didn't even ask me, what do you, where in the Bible are you getting yours? It's just, you don't stand with your country, you're, you can't be a Christian. So, I don't need George W. Bush to lecture me about what our withdrawal is going to do. We never should have been there. And he didn't care about what he was going to unleash. He unleashed Al-Qaeda and ISIS. And we can't put that genie back in the bottle. They are butchering people in the world, and they wouldn't have even existed if he hadn't gone in there. We now have divisiveness in this country so bad that we are probably headed for civil war. Because George W. Bush said, there's a fork in the road, and you have to decide, are you with us or are you against us? And he was telling Americans this. You have to get on side of one or the other. You have to make a decision. Either one or the other. You can't be both. You can't go down the middle. You can't be a, a conservative Democrat. You can't be a liberal Republican. You either have to be all in for Republican or you have to be all in for Democrat. And if you're all in for the Republican, then you're an American and you're a Christian and you're a God-loving person. And if you're a Democrat, you're a heathen and, and you hate America and you want to stand with the side of terrorists. And there's no in-between. So he can shed me his little fake crocodile tears about, about, about this. He's mad because he and Dick Cheney had 
financial interests in going into these countries. And they're going to lose money and they're going to lose power if we leave these countries. That's what he's wanting to do. He tries to couch it in. Oh, I'm just, I feel so bad for these innocent people there. They're going to suffer if we pull out. He couldn't care less. And I'm going to stop there because that'll just make me too mad. Like I said, there are things about Bush that I like. I admired Bush after 9-11. I admired the way he stood strong. I admired the things he said. When he stood on that rubble, it is one of the most impressive moments and one of the greatest things I've ever heard any president say. When he stood on the rubble just a few days after the World Traders, Trade Towers fell. And he was up there with that fireman and he had the bullhorn and he said, and, and he was and he was speaking to the people and they said we can't hear you. And he said, But I I can hear you. And soon the whole world will be hearing you. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. It makes me choke up just thinking about it. I I admired him greatly. And I was proud to be an American. I was proud that I voted for that man. And then just two years later, we lost all the goodwill that we had built up. The entire world was standing with us after 9-11. And he decided to go into these ridiculous wars. And he ruined, he divided this nation in such a way that Barack Obama was able to get elected. And then Barack Obama was such a disaster when he got Donald Trump, who divided the nation more than any, than not as much as George W. Bush, but he divided the nation tremendously. And now we've got to a point where everything is politicized, wearing a mask is politicized, getting a vaccination is considered a Republican or Democratic shoe. There's nothing that we agree on anymore. If you want to lower taxes, it becomes political issue. If you want to raise taxes, it becomes a political issue. If you want to, you know, bring your troops home, it becomes a political issue. Sending troops in the battle becomes a political issue. Is there nothing that we can all agree on anymore? No. And it started with George W. Bush. And he laments, he laments January 6th, talk about how it broke his heart to see our nation so divided and what happened on January 6th with this, what they call the insurrection attempt. Bro, you're the one who created the, the situation. By you lying to us and you getting the intelligence community to lie to us and tell us about weapons of mass destruction and all these other nonsense, nobody trusts the government anymore. Nobody trusts the FBI. Nobody trusts the CIA. Nobody trusts the government when it says anything. Because you politicized everything to get your war and to... to to go after people who didn't agree with you politically, who, who said that the war was wrong. You went after people's banks accounts. You passed the Patriot Act, which allowed the, the president of the United States to this day can label any American a terrorist and doesn't have to give any proof. He can name the American a terrorist under the Patriot Act, and you can have all of your rights stripped of you. You can be locked into Guantanamo. You can have, you can, they can, they can repeal your right to habeas corpus. They can arrest you indefinitely and not charge you. Because under the Terrorism Act, if you are a domestic terrorist, you have no rights. Bush did that. 
and now he's going to decry the state of our country and how horrible our country has become. Spare me, Mr. Bush. Spare me. You are you're a disaster. Like I said, I mean, there there are some good things about him, and one day maybe we'll discuss George W. Bush. Maybe I'll do an hour show at some point when when there's a snow news day. Maybe I'll do a president series in which I'll talk to each of our presidents for an hour and talk about the good and the bad that they did. And I and there are some good things that I have to say about George W. Bush, but the bad outweighs the good. And that's how I feel about him. That's how I feel about Barack Obama. That's how I feel about Bill Clinton. That's how I feel about Donald Trump. Each of them did some good things while in office, but their bad has outweighed the good. And I can't really speak about Joe Biden enough because I have to look at his entire presidency once he's out of office. But so far, I'm not too impressed. But all of our recent presidents, the bad outweighs the good. But I can't deny that there were some good things that each of them did and some great things they've said, some of their speeches and stuff. But Anyway, that's our show for today. And I really hope everyone has a great week. And we'll see you again next week. Bye, everyone.